Pastor Colleen is here. For those of you with children, I'd like to meet her at the back, and she will give you her Bible bags. Everyone else, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. We studied, of course, this amazing hymn of Christ, this Christological teaching in Philippians 2. And we come now to the fourth chapter of the church that Paul wrote to in Philippi, and the Christians that were there, the, the church that was there. I was taught as a child, and uh, it was reinforced in seminary, that all truth is God's truth. That we should expect that if we find something to be true in one area of our lives, that it would be true in all the other areas as well. If it's true in science, for example, it should be true in Scripture. If it is true in business, it should be true in the church, and so on. And so when I study the broad spectrum that pastors are required to do, as we look at all of life and all the various aspects of life, I'm always looking for those connecting truths. How this truth, which is true in business or science or some other area of life, how does it benefit and how does it connect with what Scripture teaches and how we are to live our lives uh, together as His people. And so when I see one truth, it's, it's like one beam of light is shining upon it. But when I find it true in another area of life and of scholarship, it's like another light shines upon it. But no matter how many lights shine upon it, it's the same truth. We just understand it more completely as we see it in all of its various facets. But whatever the source of the light, the truth remains, of course, the same. And if it's revealed in Scripture and then reinformed by business or science or neuropsychology, we find that our lives are better understood. And so when we come to our scripture today, I'm not surprised at all that uh, the truth that was revealed to us in scripture uh, almost 2,000 years ago by Paul is supported by the latest in neuropsychology. Uh, As we will see in the scriptures that we're about to study, these were written in the year 61. Paul is in prison. We're not sure if it was the Roman prison or uh, another prison. But it's almost 2,000 years ago now. And he tells us that we not only have the ability, but the responsibility to focus our thoughts. The word Paul uses, which we translate, think about such things, is a very specific word. It doesn't mean to just think or imagine. It means to meditate on the reality of something or to focus on the facts of this being true, or to deliberate on the validity. It's to make an account of something that you can actually count. And what we're supposed to meditate and focus on are those things that are true and are noble, are right and pure, are lovely, admirable, are excellent and praiseworthy. We're to think, meditate, focus, on those things. But that's what brings us back to neuropsychology. Although we've known that people who think about the good things in life, the true, the noble, the lovely, that there's a whole different mindset that begins to take over their brain. They actually live a healthier life biologically, just just by the way the body works, but also interpersonally in relationships, in business, in family, and, and so on. We've only, though, recently understood why that's true. This is not something that is new 
uh, over the long haul, but we've now understood why it's true. The spotlight that our Creator gave us, saying, focus your minds on the good things of life, have now uh, been identified by neuroscientists, spotlighting a tremendous biological benefit, but a mechanism that creates it. It's called the reticular activating system. Now, I'm not going to go into this in depth. I uh, encourage you to study it, you know, look it up and, and uh, understand it. It has many facets to it, biological as well as, as relational. But what is interesting to us this morning as we look at these words of Paul is that it shines light on Paul's words that we're to focus our conscious minds, that that we have control over, on the true, the lovely, the pure things. Because only then will we experience the joy and the peace and the satisfaction from within. Perhaps the simplest way to explain it is, is to describe it in this way. Uh, the body provides our minds with about 11 million bits of information every second. The majority of that comes in through our eyes, as every hue of every color, as every line of every shape is entering your mind continually through your eyes. But we also get a million messages through our skin. Every second we feel the pew and the carpet, the shoes and the clothes, the wind and the temperature. And then, of course, we get hundreds of thousands of information every second from our ears and our nose and our tongue. Now, just for me to say those words to you has sensitized you to your body. You suddenly started to feel things and to notice the, the wind and to notice the sounds and to, to do that. Because, of course, I'm, I'm calling your conscious minds to something that your body is giving you every second, whether you're awake or asleep. And those hundreds of thousands of information, 11 million, over 11 million, has, of course, given you process. But this is where it gets tricky. The scientists have discovered that we're only capable of processing 50, and some scientists even say only 40, bits of information in our conscious mind at any given moment. So even though we're getting 11 million bits of information through this reticular activating system, it has to filter out. What, what does Denny want to pay attention to? What has he paid attention to in the past? What does he want to see in this situation such that the conscious mind through the reticular activating system is filtering all this information at all times? Uh, what makes this even more intriguing is that this decision that the brain is making in the reticular activating system of what should come into my conscious mind so I pay attention uh, to it is based on what not only is happening biologically, that the temperature suddenly changes or something like that, but it's based on our values, our beliefs. It's based on our past experiences. It's based on, our, based on our past practices. The songs that we hear, the books that we read, the people we talk with, what valued others focus on and therefore cause us to focus on as well, what our parents focused on. 
For example, in this picture, what do you see? What popped off the screen at you first? How about this picture? What do you see first? And then what do you notice? How about this one? Now, depending on your internal filter, you either saw a mess or a child or both. If you were raised by parents who focused on the mess when they walked into a room, you have been trained by practice to focus on the mess rather than the human being. If you've had children, you probably noticed that over time you don't worry too much about the mess. You look at what the child is experiencing. Are they happy? Or are they, as the first picture says, extremely sad in the midst of their mess? Now let me, let me do it in kind of a different kind of way. This is a classic picture that was taken in 1943 at the Woodrow Wilson High School. At that time, in 1943, we were in the midst of a world war. The entire world was focusing on preparing the high school students, as you can see them in the background, as young cadets preparing for war. The two children in the foreground are playing war. Now, as a world and as a nation, we were focused on war, and our children accepted in their reticular activating system that focus, and they surrounded themselves with that activity in their conscious world as they were playing together. Now, that is the problem, of course, in this most um, complex world in which we live. Our news shows, even our entertainment shows, are often based on anxiety-producing focused attention. The result being that whatsoever thing is horrifying, whatsoever thing is overwhelming, whatsoever thing is disappointing and discouraging, we as a culture think about such things. We even call it reality. And to focus on that, we call being a realist. And those who look for the love and the goodness and the joy and the noble and the lovely are often called naive and ignorant. Now, we could talk about this for hours and explore the emphasis on self-talk and the limitations on just simply trying to self-improve. We're finding, in fact, in some of the research that if you try to do positive self-talk just from your own basis, you can actually have lower self-esteem at the end because of some of the dynamics that are involved in the RAS system. But let's turn now to, to what Paul has to say. As I said, Paul uh, wrote these words in prison, so he's not in a great condition and the world standards, and yet He's practicing the presence of God and he's focusing his attentions on being rejoicing and, and being filled with his uh, joy in the midst of the circumstances of his life. So Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start with the first verse and let's go through the 8th. Paul writes, 
Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Sitica to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I'll keep that open before you and let's pray. Father, we're so aware uh, that we are interactive with the world. The world doesn't do to us. We're a part of what we experience in the world and what we focus on of the 11 million bits of information. And so today, as we're focusing in on your word and your truth, we would ask that you would help us leave the safety of sanctuary and go into a world in which we take your peace and your goodwill with us. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now the key, of course, uh, to changing this reticular activated system and how we see the world is seen in these last words. As Paul completes this and tells us what to focus on, then he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. What we have discovered is that the reticular activating system is simply a biological reflection of what the individual does, how they practice their life. Not their theory about what they think they should be doing, but what they actually do. So if we say we believe in the joy of the Lord, and we believe that we should be filled with thanksgiving, that wonderful attitude of gratitude, and that we believe in truth and purity and noble lives, yet we practice lives of complaint, criticism, dissatisfaction, impurity, ignoble lives, focusing our thoughts and words and behavior on darkened things, then what we really believe, what is reality for us, and what becomes the filter through which we see the world and experience the world, and it reinforces then these negative thoughts about ourselves and others, is created by our practice, not by our words. 
So how do we change our practice? Well, here, Paul, of course, gives us four simple uh, practices. And these are the ways that we, in fact, change our focus. So just think for a moment and meditate on this verse throughout this week and think about how you live these teachings, these practices. Not what you think so much as how you act so that you can think, so that you can, in fact, be a person of joy-filled life. First, what do we study? What do we focus our conscience learning on? If we only got 40 or 50 bits in any given moment, what book, what movie, what magazine, what media, where do we get our information and our education? It will define you in what you see and do. Second, what do we consistently include in our lives? The word in Greek there means to have something close at hand, that it's even attached to us. We never let it get beyond arm's reach. So what do we consistently include in our lives? Third, what do we listen to? What comes in through our ears at a mostly, mostly unconscious level? How do those sounds, songs, speeches focus us so that we see in a different way? And I could talk so much about each of these. Let me just mention that. If we only listen to the same people all the time, we will think and talk and live like them. And fourth, who then are we spending time with? Which is just that fact. Who's the model we're watching? How are we absorbing their practices and their thoughts? Accepting their into our innermost being and the filter by which we see the world, what they include in their lives, their studies, their attachments, their listening. Who do we spend time with? I've often prescribed a, a very simple little reticular activating system change. The psychologists call it changing your mental channel and changing the way that you uh, experience and express life. And I've had people who have uh, become very critical. They could be critical towards themselves, and oftentimes true towards self or spouse or children or, or co-workers, or they become very uh, depressed about life and feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of their life. And that, of course, then causes them to see only the things that overwhelm, and they, it reinforces them in that process. And so if you're focusing on those kinds of things, what you want to do, of course, is consciously, at this little 50 bits that we can control, consciously focus in on what to be thankful for. And so I'll prescribe for a person. I want you to think, before you lift your head off the pillow, two things to thank God for. Now that causes them to have to focus their attention on the things for which they have gratitude. Then, before breakfast, focus in on two more things. Before lunch, two more. Before dinner, two more. Make that time of prayer before the 
the meals, not just gratitude for the food, but gratitude in a larger sense. And then as you lay, the, lay your head down at the end of the day, just think of all the things that you're thankful for, that you give God praise for, that are happening in beautiful ways. Now, if an individual will do that for about 40 days, is what a, a habit change requires, then that filter will begin to transform. And your reticular activating system will say, well, Denny must not be looking for the bad things. He must be looking for the good things. And I'm going to let those things through now. I'm going to, when I show him a picture, show him the child and show him the important stuff that he's thankful for. I'm not going to have him focus in on something that's so negative about himself or someone else or the circumstances. I'm going to, I'm going to help him to see and I'm going to help him to, to pull back from those things that are harmful to that joyful spirit or the people that are harmful to it. This morning as we go to God in prayer, let's think of how our practices can change such that we experience in a natural way through our own biological filters the joy of the Lord. Let's allow Him and all that He is to show us His peace, His love, His presence, His excellence. It is here in abundance. We live in a world that is overwhelmingly blessed. But do we see it? Let's spend time with Him.